0: Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight.
1: Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun.
0: Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing amazing Radio.
2: Welcome to It's M-Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me as always, DJ Mark. What's up? Also with me this week, Lavender Gooms. Hey, guys. Finally, also joining me, looking like a young LL Cool J, Kid Presentable.
1: Don't call it a comeback. You know, we were talking about uh, fast food places before we started recording. Um, and I really don't want to cook tonight. So look what you guys did. Look what you guys made me do. You're going to make me eat unhealthy tonight after this. I'm going to get me some uh, drive
2: through. So two, uh, two three, I realize meal, baby. this isn't a visual medium. So let me point out Stefan's wearing a bucket hat, which is why I said, Hello, Cool J. Two, Stefan's just giving himself an excuse to go to Burger King and enter himself into the contest to win a PS5. I'm just kidding, I don't really want Burger King, though. Like, and also, like I said, it's really low on the list for me.
0: I don't think you needed to explain to people what type of hat he had on. I don't think Al Cool J is associated with any other headgear besides. No, that
1: that's hat. not true. He wears Kangles. The Kangle was a fixture hat of the early nineties.
0: It, it was a Kangle bucket hat. It wasn't like a Kangle old man hat. Kangle hat, like the, the hat. It wasn't a bowler hat. Is it a bowler hat?
2: What was that hat called? That's a different hat. It's New, like a Newsy, it's kind of similar Newsy to hat. a Newsy hat, a Newsy hat, hat, hat but yeah. like backwards. I call it my grandpa's hat. Um, all right, boys and girls. Um, Khabib smashed. It was Khabib time. He went out there. He smashed Justin Gaethje. Um, whole week, it looked like Khabib really didn't want to be there. And Khabib figured, let me just run this shit uh, real quick. Um, for people who didn't see it, Mark, uh fight started uh, maybe about a minute or so of feeling each other out. And then Khabib put that shit into overdrive.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, largely the first round was contested on the feet, which was a little surprising. Um, not even Habib like going for shots, and Justin being able to deflect them, even though there was a couple. Um, they mostly uh, stood up with each other, which was kind of interesting, and was Justin's you know best chance at winning this fight. And you can obviously tell pretty early on that Justin had uh, kind of adjusted his stance, adjusted his strategy for this fight. You know, anticipating the takedown and trying to be ready for it. He had a much lowered guard. His uh, posture was lower, and a lot of his head movement. Instead of doing like side to side movement, a lot of it was ducking down forward so that if a shot did come, he could get under hooks. In. Um, and a lot of the fight standing up, you know, I think Habib did a pretty decent job, um, you know, keeping up the pace, taking the center of the octagon and utilizing his jab. Uh, you know, I think over the years, it's been very easy to criticize Habib's stand up. Um, because it's the area that he's the weakest. And I think where he's the weakest is his defense. I think over the years, he has established a couple of really good tools. And one of those is a really fast jab. Um, And he utilized that pretty well. As the round started ticking on, Justin did start to get a little bit more comfortable, was able to find some uh, exchanges where he was successful. He landed some good low kicks and some some decent hooks. Uh, Overall, though, you know, I think most of the round, I think Habib just edged him out a little bit, just being a little bit more active, although I think Ga- Gaethje's strikes had a lot more heat on them. Um, and then personally, I-, I did end up giving Habib the the round. I think he was a little bit more active, and I think he sealed the deal at the end of the second round. Um, gave a full shot. Um, Habib... End of the first before, round. End of the first round. Before that, had given a couple shot attempts, mostly working off of low kicks, and Justin was able to fend those off. You know, I think it was around a little bit before the 10-second mark, Um, Habib was eating some more leg kicks and he shot in a double and this is kind of where I was probably the most disappointed with Gaethje was not a lot of I mean besides those attempts early on where um, Habib was trying to grab single legs off of kicks there wasn't much defense here once he got that double leg in pretty deep he didn't really try to fight it it could have been because of a short time on the clock too but Habib went from double leg to half guard to mount to armbar within like 10 seconds and that's probably the thing I'm even more disappointed in justin at is you know i I did think that a a potential point where this fight could be contested is justin fending off the takedowns you know we've heard so much about how this guy's a wrestler we don't see it a lot but he has those abilities to fend off takedowns and while he did a few and this one time where he got deep he did not fight to keep it and when you fight a guy like habib the guy doesn't stop you know if he gets in deep on you and you're able to get an underhook and he's gonna keep trying When you don't try the underhook again, he's just going to get you down, um, which he did. And, um, you know, he didn't have a lot of time to work in that first round. And he went for an armbar, which was, you know, I think was he knew there was short time so he could do a more, you know, risky uh, submission attempt from the top. Because I don't think an armbar is one that you would usually do if you're trying to maintain top position. If that armbar does go awry, you usually end up on your back. It's somewhere we didn't, I don't think Khabib would want to fight most of the fight. But that was basically the first round. Second round, they come out again. Uh, again, a lot more stand up, and I think Justin started finding the range and the rhythm for that low kick, and he blasted Habib with a couple good ones. Um, and then Habib kind of set him up. Habib threw a jab. Uh, Justin countered with a low kick. Habib shot on that on that takedown, and again, just wealths of you know. We keep talking. Oh, Justin's a wrestler. He might be able to stop. Like he shot that double leg, and Justin sprawled out. By the time he sprawled, Habib was already on his fucking back. And by that time Justin was defending his back, he gave up the mount. And the probably the most shocking thing that I was really surprised at was, you know, j- just one, Justin's inability to stop Habib on the ground at all. Like, you just, just any kind of momentarily keeping him in any position. Um, and my other big thing I was surprised at is Habib went for a triangle from uh, top position. Again, this is another submission that is a risky move. If you do not pull off that triangle from top, you usually end up on your bottom. And he also transitioned to – because you technically can get a triangle from top mount without going to your back. It's not super, you know, often or, you know, it's kind of a rare submission to get while you're still maintaining top position to get that triangle. Going to your back is where you're able to secure it even tighter. And that's what Habib did. And I'm kind of surprised we've seen a lot of Habib fights where I think a lot of the strategy is ride this dude – Work him over with punches, get him tired, and look for that submission later on in the fight. And Habib didn't have any of that. You know, every time he went to the ground, he was looking for to finish this fight instantaneously. He got mount. He could have easily spent the next four minutes pounding him out there, but he went for that triangle and he got it. Um, to Justin's credit, he he kind of tried to defend. I mean, I, honestly, I was a little disappointed. I don't think he did a lot. to Honestly, fend off Mark, that I pangle. thought
2: he kind of the moment got to him. I don't yeah. think I, I, he did. He kind of talked about also like some of that might've been in there with him too. And I thought that it kind of turned into a Justin Gaethje fight for a few minutes there, like an older, like a dry Justin Gaethje before recent adjustments to, you know, be a little bit more cautious. Like it was real wild. It felt for a while there. And there's
3: definitely shades of him and Tony when he was throwing really hard. And I think a part of that is the strategy that they went with was we're going to keep head movement, but we're going to, instead of slipping by leaning back, which would be really bad against a wrestler because if you slip leaning back, your legs are exposed. You can't hip out quick. So obviously the strategy was to slip punches moving down and forward. And when he does that and you're in a ducking position, I mean, look, at Mike Tyson's the fucking best at it. When you look at how Tyson bobs and weaves from a ducking position, his head is looking up at his opponent. His gloves are are, uh, defending his face, but he's looking up at the opponent and, and ducking and weaving like that, where Justin was looking down, probably anticipating a shot coming in to see him down there. But when your head's down and you're not seeing the target he's throwing these big overhand rights and he's not looking at where he's striking. He's just hoping he catches Habib. Um, So yeah, I I felt, I I felt a lot of that in the first, I felt a lot of nervous energy. It reminded me a lot of when Alistar fought uh, 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 Zinganu. It's just like, he's just nervous about that, that thing that he's anticipating what's going to happen and not anticipating him landing his shot. And, yeah, I I definitely got some of that. It was it was a different style of Justin Gaethje. But we also did see him kind of rest into a strategy, which was to implement those low kicks. Ultimately, the, those kind of were his undoing. You know, Habib did get that second shot in the second round off of a low kick. He anticipated Justin throwing it off a jab. And, you know, he set that up perfectly. It was a good trap. Um, and, and mostly my, my big concerns, you know, or the things I was kind of disappointed in was just like, look, I knew Justin was going to have a hard time fending these takedowns. But when he got in deep, like, I didn't see anything. It
2: was just like Dude, it felt just, like it felt like he didn't really I mean, it wasn't like Paulo Costa level of not having anything at all, but it wasn't it wasn't a good performance. He looked like well, he just didn't get
1: I want to chime in on what both you guys are saying. Um uh, I agree with the fr- frantic thing. I think that was my exact comment to you. Is like this fight seems kind of frantic right now. Yeah. Like both of them. Like Habib's really kind of waiting in. Like is he going to get himself knocked out? Like Gaethje's kind of overthrowing. And what was the first thing you hear Trevor Whitman say? Loud, bold, and enunciate. He's a slow down. Yeah. Like. Uh, but the thing I was going to say, I don't fault Gaethje. You say the moment got to him. You say you're disappointed. Um, and maybe you're not to like extreme degrees. But where I just give all credit to Khabib is. One of the first things that uh, Justin says in his interview, and something I've noted other fighters note about Habib, one of the very first thing, completely gas, he says, Habib, wow, he's really strong. Yep. And so that it's it seems like it's one of those things that people have problems problem with Jones. You can't fight and find a training partner that simulates what he does. You can't fight find a training partner who simulates his grip strength, his hip strength. Like Everything he did, it happened so fast. Like Marky said, he took him down, he sprawled. He's already hopping onto his back. He's, you know, turning into it. He's already in a choke. Like, everything Habib does is so quick, so sudden. Just because he's strong. Yeah. He can just do what he wants to do.
2: I mean, the man is, he had a, Mike, my, my, I'm going to get your thoughts on this too. But I got the impression that Habib just had a general indifference. And he does this in a lot of his fights for what the other guy is going to do. And some of that comes from, I think, never having really been in danger, of course. Um, but, like, even when he got leg kicked, Khabib was almost like, you can leg kick me, but I know when you leg kick me, that means one of your legs is in the air for a brief moment, and I'm going to do something about it. I mean, what did you think of his performance overall? And, um, I mean, what did you th- do you expect more from Gaethje, or what did you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, he
0: was getting leg kicked a fair amount, but I'm pretty sure Habib's thinking was, yeah, I'm not really going to need my legs when I get you to the ground. It's not really going to matter if my leg's a little bruised at that point. Um, I really didn't expect any more from Gaethje. Um This isn't to say that Gaethje, I think, did bad in this fight. It's just this is exactly what we expected Habib to do. Um, I think the fight went exactly how we thought it was going to go. As soon as, you know, Habib really got his hands on Gaethje, it took a little longer than uh, than, than usual. But as soon as he got his hands on Gage, he got him to the ground, and he took care of him pretty quickly. Um, it was standing a bit longer than I would have liked, but I will chalk that up so that Habib was just picking his spots um, to, to go for the takedown. Um, pretty sad. I, I felt bad in in, in certain ways for Habib. Um I know before the podcast, uh, Steph had some issues with, you know, just like, the, all the all the flowers being thrown at him, or how great a person he is, because he's shown things in the past where you know he's not exactly you know Brother Teresa, but you know <laughs> I he... like that.
2: <laughs> I enjoyed that. Sorry.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. But you know, um, he lost his dad not so long ago, and I think his dad was a was a big part of his MMA career, and uh, yeah, he broke down as soon as that fight ended. So, um, yeah, he. Uh, I know mean, you didn't I mean, ask this question, but I'm going to uh, be sad to
1: see. Uh, look, Mike, I, I specifically said I didn't want to bring that up because I didn't want that oh. to make up that a point that I was trying My to bad. make. I was trying Sorry. to make a general comment, but I, know, Mike, I, trying, Mike, I, I agree with, with you. So you're him. not alone yeah. on that island. Like, I mean, but I, I agree with what you're saying too. Is that like he's still a person, right? He's the person who lost his dad, who meant the world to him. So, like, I mean, we talked about it. Right, having Except- an
2: emotion, he was well, having an emotional toll. Well, we talked about it, right? We're like, we don't know what his like. His, I, I, I mean, I kept saying it. I'm like, his dad was kind of his north star here, and like, it was. That? Um, and that was his, like, his head coach was never Javier Mendez. I
1: mean, it, a kind of beautiful poetic thing is. Uh, I was going to mention a moment I kind of really liked. So this fight, I bothered to watch the preamble.
0: Did uh, I think his
2: dog uh, unplugged his microphone. Connect him again. Yeah. Um, let's give Steph. A it second. hasn't he happened in a few weeks. <laughs> 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 uh, While Stephon's doing that. Uh, we can continue here. Hello? Yeah, it was. I think we got you back, Steph. Stop walking.
1: Uh, uh-huh. So I was watching all the preambles. I saw the embedded, I saw the countdowns. And one kind of the beautiful thing about how this fight played out is um, Javier was talking to him, He's like, "I'm just going to follow the plan." And the plan is his dad's coaching strategy. He's like, "I'm just going to do what my dad wants me to do. I'm going to take him down. I'm going to submit him. Like we're going to stick to the plan. We're going to honor my father by doing executing the plan." Um, but I was going to say a funny thing. I don't know if you guys caught this. He was being interviewed by DC. And the guys are boys because of AKA. Mm. And Kaleev threw such shade on DC. He's like, D- like DC, the difference between you and me is in your to ch- ch- fight, you shot for a takedown one time and you gave up. The difference between you and me is I try a hundred times.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't ever give up. You gave up. And I'm like,
1: Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, I,
2: I, they're tight, but they throw a lot of shit at each other. Uh <laughs> Did you guys hear this earlier today where DC was, uh, cause I guess the Ariel show now, DC is just kind of the co host, the Monday show. Um, and DC said that Habib told him that Habib had like, he, Habib knew how tough Justin is, like mentally, and how hard he was gonna be to break him. And Habib saw that Justin said, like, you know, you're gonna have to kill me in there and stuff. And I guess this, I mean, again, DC said this and DC is approaching, you know, Jose Aldo levels of DC says a lot um with some of his shit but dc's like habib told me he's gonna go for a choke because he doesn't want to break justin's arm um in front of his parents because he saw his parents are in the, are gonna be there right
0: and, and and justin said he wouldn't he wouldn't tap yeah um no matter what yeah I yeah well Just,
2: i mean justin did tap but then he also went to sleep um we, there's gonna be a lot of time i mean look there's a lot to talk about in this podcast um that we're gonna get into real quickly I mean, let's we're gonna let's get through these fights, and I want we want to talk about what's going on with the lightweight title picture in general. But um, Khabib retired, um, and uh, we thought I think most of us have all heard that. I mean, Stefan Bright made reference to it last week too. That like the next fight, that the only fight he really wanted, and it was something his dad wanted. Was his dad loves George St Pierre, and he wanted his son to fight George St Pierre. And George St. Pierre said he would fight Habib too, because that was the only fight GSP was interested in. I guess he said he told his mom he's not going to fight anymore. And, I mean, let me just, like, real quick. We're not going to get into debate here. Real yes or no, do we believe that he's retired?
0: I think he's retired. Uh But with what you just said, with a backdoor caveat, that he could say, well, you know, my father really wanted me to fight George St. Pierre. So I'm honoring my father's wishes to fight George St. Pierre gets a 30 and zero, And my father will be looking up from heaven, you know, very, very proud down
2: down. If he's looking up, he's not in the right place down. He's looking down from heaven, Mike.
0: <laughs> Good point.
2: <laughs> um. So you say he's staying retired with the one massive caveat. Um, only he's trying to get paid. So you couldn't just go yes or no? You could just, you know, okay. I, I believe him that he's not coming back. But, I mean, yeah, I'm going to go with yes. I think he, I believe him, which is rare in this sport because we're about to talk, in about half an hour, we're going to talk about a man who's retired or not retired about five times. Snap. what do you think?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say I agree he's retired. Obviously, I was floating out the GSP thing because I think that's the only thing to do, and that was a super fight. That wasn't a 155 title fight. Mm-hmm. Um, that was always just a legacy super fight. That was a dream match that we would hope for. But, um, you know, since Mike brought up, I brought pointed out him not being the greatest person, a perfect sweet little angel. Um, if he lies to his mom, th- that's just one more thing on the list. So I'm going to believe that he is telling me. The- Maybe his gotta, mom says you got to
0: see. You got to see the, ca- the caveat I laid out. It's like, ah, but, you know, Baba said, you know, that he wants me to fight George St. Pierre. Look, I agree that that is the
1: thing to do. But you don't go breaking your mama's heart, Mike. Look, if his mom says, go fight GSB. Go mom's got to give blessing. That's what I got to hear. I got to hear mom's blessing. Like
0: like Adrian in the hospital to Rocky in Rocky two. Just Beat give him. him the motivation. That's right. Beat, him. Beat
2: him. You got to win.
0: Mark, what do you think?
3: Uh, I, I hedge my my bet to probably not staying retired. Um, and that's just most guys don't stay retired. You most know?
2: guy, Most guys in their prime at age 31 – you know, at their peak who have never got close to being in danger in a fight and are one win away from a nice round number. So a lot of things point to not retiring, right? (laughs) Yeah.
3: I mean, I think that the circumstances of his retirement, I mean, I'm not going to take anyone to their word moments after a, you know, not just a, you know, of, of a cage fight, which is extremely demanding physically and mentally, but especially for someone whose father was so ingrained in the sport for him after coming off a victory was obviously extremely emotional. I'm not going to take anything that guy says to heart because he's extremely emotional at, at that moment. And, you know, after some reflection, you know, he might change his mind. I'm not going to hold him to that because I think very much spur of the moment, you know, in that moment, he probably does I fully believe that he doesn't think he'll ever fight again. And I wouldn't be surprised if if he really does stay retired, but I'm just I'm I'm answering off my history of seeing lots of people lay down those gloves just to find themselves in Bellator five months later. Like, I don't think that's where Habib's going, but I've seen a lot of people, oh I'm I'm hanging it up. And then, you know, seven months later, it's like, well, my life isn't nearly as fulfilling as it was when I was a cage fighter fighting in front of thousands of people getting paid thousands of dollars. That was a lot more appealing. I can't scratch that itch anymore. You know, I think Khabib potentially, you know, could walk into the sunset. I think, obviously, if he wants to coach and stuff, I think he'd be fantastic at that. But I'm not going to be surprised if, you know, a GSP or Conor McGregor or someone else
2: I do, Mark, you said it. I don't think he has any interest in fighting Conor. I think... He does I not either. I don't think he wants to deal I think for the sake of fucking all of us, I'm gonna give Khabib some credit here. Him having no interest in having making us all go through this again, cause that was like some of the most un like uncomfortable I was going to a fucking fight. Like it was not fun, any part of that to me. So we can avoid that. Great. That's the one where I don't think it's happening. And even Connor Mark seemed like he was just like, Hey man, sorry for the loss of your father again, and I you know enjoy retirement not
3: basically what i'm saying is gsp i think everyone knows that's very much on the table if connor can coax him and and tease him out of it maybe that i think another thing is if another lightweight comes and makes a, a bigger claim that he's pound for pound the best lightweight of all time maybe he comes out i don't know who that is because i think habib and the conversation of pound for pound you know carries a heavy stick but i definitely think there's people that Potentially, could do something that could kind of cement over what Habib's done. And I think that's mostly if someone can reign at lightweight, which no one has. There's never been anyone reigning at lightweight. Like P.J. Penn, like what do you have? Two defenses. No one reigns this this division. This is Habib's probably the person that's reigned the longest. If someone goes in here and can hold down like you know five title defenses, and they become pound for pound, you know the best lightweight, you know maybe that that interests him. I don't know. You know, I'm basically you know because he is young. In five years' time, he might get the itch, and there might the landscape of lightweight might change so much so that he feels like he can come back and, and regain some of that glory. Maybe in those cases, but I don't think there's a lot of fights left in Habib, um, and I think at this point it is really just GSP or something huge has to come up to, to 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 coax him out. But I'm not gonna be surprised if he comes back in the octagon.
1: My prediction is, as a Russian, he just slides into being a like political oligarch because that's what happens with sure, these guys good. in Russia. Like, uh, that's, what, he, that's what I honestly think his future
2: is I, I don't know if they if they like his type of Russian everywhere just that's, that's a good well, point he has, <laughs> he'll have his domain Bobby he does not he's what, not going to rule over all the Russia.
0: what Steph, What? what Bobby's trying to say is he ain't white
2: I mean he might be white but he's Muslim yeah yeah definitely like it was definitely that dude
3: definitely white but he's also definitely muslim and that might we're, not we're,
2: gonna, we're gonna have max Kamaka back on the podcast just to explain uh russian geopolitics yeah we all need of some us, yeah some politics and... yeah i don't want to talk <laughs> on my ass but uh, traditionally when a country is not majority muslim it does not mean everybody's on board with the muslim guy <laughs> in the country just putting that out there
0: and uh putin puts him as like minister of sport or some something like that
2: that's fedor's job isn't it Ooh. Also, Putin like is like likes Conor McGregor too. It's an interesting. This, again, ooh, probably ooh, because, pressure. yeah, I think um, Putin likes anyone that he can control. So, us, so okay, I we talked about it beforehand. I don't think we really need to get into the John Jones thing right now because it really serves no purpose. But Stefan. It's nice to John Jones keeping it real, people. Man, he's not lying to us at least about what I he just, feels. Like
1: we were talking earlier, I just like the timeline of it, where he was being gracious in the moment. And he's like, "Uh, once I move, once I get that heavy belt, then I'll take the goat." He's like, and then five
2: minutes later, fuck that! I'm the goat. I don't need to do anything. Yeah, else. he's like, I got, "John Jones eventually just devolved into, a motherfucker. I have like 15 defenses. What do you want from me?"
1: <laughs> Look, uh, in my eyes, they're both undefeated. So, as a former UFC commentator would once say, they are virtually identical in my Look, eyes.
2: It's, you know, they're, they're t- debating who's pound for pound right now. Okay, whatever. If they got in a fight, the guy who outweighs the other by 60 pounds probably wins. So there we go. No, Bobby, but it's
3: if John Jones got shrunk down to 55.
2: You know be able to- you Cut off one of his arms. I'm still taking John Jones. All right. That'd be a fight. Okay. Here we go. Um, let's just get, I mean, I feel bad less doing this, but like we've got a lot still to talk about. Bobby Knuckles, Jared Cannonier. Mike, um, you and I watching this thing, we're like. Jared Cannonier acted like that thing was going to be five rounds. And he just given up the first, you know, giving up rounds early on. It was not yep. the greatest look. A man who's normally way more aggressive just wasn't. Um, yeah. do you, what do you have to say about... The, I mean, Bobby Knuckles looked good, generally. <laughs> Bobby
0: Knuckles looked great in that fight. Jared's game plan, it seemed... Because he was attacking the legs of Fairmount in the first and second round. And I remember thinking... This is a great game plan to, you know, wear a guy down and, uh, you know, make sure that you can really give him something in the fourth and fifth round. Oh, wait a second! Mm. There is no fourth and fifth round in this fight. This guy's being a wee bit too sensitive in this fight. Uh, Bobby Knuckles looked great. He was aggressive throughout, um, and it's a damn shame because I don't think Bobby Knuckles will get the next uh, next title shot. So uh, I don't care what Dana White says. I don't I don't believe him. Uh we saw what happened the last time that Adesanya fought Bobby Knuckles. I don't think he's there yet for a rematch.
2: Okay, I'm going to make the case that they got to give him a title shot if Izzy's if Izzy's going to fight anytime soon. And I recognize that like you know, if we're booking this thing like, you know, him getting smoked in about what was it? Did he even get out of the first round against Izzy? Does anybody remember?
0: Don't Yeah, think he made so. it to the second.
2: Yeah, it wasn't close, though. Um, The man was the champion. And Izzy, I'm looking at the rankings here, and say what you will about the rankings, but Izzy beat all these people. Um, And unless Jack Hermanson's getting a title shot at four when he doesn't deserve it on any level, if Izzy's going to fight at middleweight, Robert Whitaker is the number one contender. And you know what? Babaloo got to fight Chuck Liddell twice, man. Sometimes this shit happens. Tito got to, you know, went up there and got a title shot against Chuck when we all knew it was going to happen. Sometimes you fight a guy a second time and we know it's going to be a big favorite and that's just the way this fucking thing works because this is a sport and Mark does, does it. It's him. Who, do you, who else is going to do it?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was actually thinking about this earlier. It's just, it's really di- kind of disappointing because it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago that middleweight was kind of boring. When Anderson kind of cleared house the division got really boring. And then it got really interesting when Weidman won. And there was this whole slew of new prospects came in. And unfortunately, even though Izzy hasn't been on on top for that long, like, the division is not super exciting for me. With well, Izzy. they made him
2: fight all these guys before he got the belt.
3: Well, but even though he's like, it's the guys he's fighting. It's like, there, there's still some new blood in the division. They haven't crept up to the top 10, really. But the bigger issue is that all the wrestlers are gone. And I don't think anyone's challenging Izzy when your main strength is striking. So it's like, yeah, I don't think Robert's going to have anything new for him. I don't think a lot of these guys in the top ten, I don't think Jared, I don't think would have had anything for him, but he's a new look. And, that, and that's appealing in and of its own right. So I think it's just really disappointing. I don't think we're going to see anyone really challenge Izzy until we see someone that could wrestle and can mix
2: it up a little bit more.
3: You're muted, Bob.
2: Is there any chance the winner of this, com- if Uriah Hall wins this weekend, and I know this sounds ridiculous on every level, but given the circumstances here, is there any chance they book something like that, you think? If, if Uriah Hall goes out there and puts a fucking stamp on it, just makes Anderson, gets puts Anderson out cold inside of two minutes. Like, I mean, they need? I mean, if they're going to immediately look for somebody new, I think they could at least sell, like, these guys both throw flashy shit. I'm not saying he, Uriah would deserve it. I'm just wondering, do you think they could book something like that?
0: Mm-hmm. Hypothetically, no.
2: Well, of no. course, it's hypothetical. You don't think there's any chance?
0: Hypothetically,
2: Steph? not a chance. Steph, you wanted to say something. Would you th- feel the same way?
1: Uh, I was going to say Anderson. A win over Anderson and Silva in 2020 is worth absolutely nothing.
2: Yeah, you're right. All got a title. Didn't is he get a title shot off of beating Anderson Silva in 2019? He's also I, I undefeated s- in many other things. Okay, I know. I'm, I'm aware. Okay. <laughs> Is Hall on a winning streak, at least? Honest question. Does anybody know what's going on? Yeah, with him? He, he has. And, and
3: Bobby, and I think looking at his record, it, it brings a little bit more validity to that question because looking at the last couple of years, the only person he lost to was Paul Costa, who got a title shot, right? So I don't know where his rankings is. And I, and I also agree with Steph and Mike. Like Beating Anderson Silva should not put you in that position, but he's done pretty well for himself recently. And, Number 10. And Bobby, and I think you're right. It would, at one thing, it, it would... It would curb one of the criticisms I said that it wouldn't be a fresh opponent, so it would be a new look, so that's kind of interesting. I mean, Uriah Hall has not shown us enough throughout his career to make me no. think he'd beat Izzy, No, nope. but it's something you could sell. right? Well, you can definitely show the highlights of Uriah Hall and Izzy and be like, yo, these guys are on the same... Look, it, You can cut a video and make those two guys look like they're on the same field, and you could sell that pay-per-view. I mean, to the hardcores like us that have seen Uriah Hall struggle, it's not a big selling point, but to the casual fandom. I
2: mean, at a certain point, man, Dan Hardy got a title. Look, I love Dan Hardy. Dan Hardy got a title shot. And, like, no one knew who the fuck he was. And, like, weirder shit has happened. Now You reach a point. It's I mean, not I'm, beyond the brass. Yeah, I'm looking at, at what something. I'm looking at. Look, this is what I'm looking at, guys. Whitaker is one. Cannoneer, no. Paulo Costa, no. Jack Hermanson, I feel he got knocked out by Cannoneer four months ago.
1: That was his think. last fight was yeah. losing to Cannoneer.
2: Yeah, uh, Yoel Romero, never again. Never again. Um, I don't care what pictures of Dana White Malki Kawa has that Yoel gets like all these title shots. He's, he's used all them up. Um, Darren Till. I think Till is fighting somebody. Is, is he fighting Romero? Also, no. I don't think so. I think he has to beat somebody, Darren Till, probably. Cause he just lost to Bobby Knuckles, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Um, Derek Brunson. We saw that. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum. We saw that.
3: Yeah. So, and really, our, the answer is Chris Weidman problem, is nine. You're right, and Stefan and Mike are right. <laughs> no, I mean, like, they shouldn't, it shouldn't well, happen, a, but if he wins, I think it's very conceivable. And it's one of those things where it just the landscape might make it work stylistically. It's something they could sell. It shouldn't happen. And I think it also makes, see, in this in this segment, we're all right. Well, here's the thing, me, Mark. There's point, another option. This division's here. kind of weak. And if Uriah Hall's getting the shot against Izzy, it kind of proves that, like, you know what it is, Mark. I don't think it's even weak. I just think we—they're just all in a position in this very moment that like they're not getting a title shot. I, I only think it's weak because I don't think stylistically the guys in the top ten have a style that I think matches well with Izzy. That's the really, i don't think—I don't think it's nothing. I'm not saying anything about the talent level. I'm just saying what I've seen from the guy at the top versus stylistically the other guys in the top ten and the guys he's haven't hasn't already beaten. I don't see him being challenged. Um, and that's disappointing because not that long ago there was Luke Rock- uh, Rockhold and Wideman and Romero. Well, and Wideman's still there. still there. They are but diminished. Yeah. Um and and back then there was lots of new blood with lots of different styles and we didn't know which one was going to kind of be the cream of the crop. Now we know it's Izzy. He fights very similar, I mean differently, but has a similar aura to him is Anderson Silva and it's just like, "Uh, we just got over like seven years of Silva just like dominating the division and to have another dominant champion. Well, I mean, look, the there's an field. option
2: here I didn't mention, which is uh, Izzy goes on a Anderson Silva style walkabout up to 205. And well, let's this thing I mean, I'm not saying he's going to fight John Jones right now, but, but Anderson go- didn't either. Anderson fought James Irvin uh, and Anderson fought Forrest. I mean, I don't know.
1: I think um, this isn't actually an immediate contender, because I actually don't know what the status of his career is. But I would say the interesting rematch for Izzy that is out there, if he can ever get his shit in order, is Kelvin Gastelum. Is he, is he, what's he up to, honest question? What, that's, that's why I can't, I can't say he's on any horizon, uh, I honestly have no idea what he's up to right now.
0: And are you where talking he's about Kelvin lately. Gastelum or Izzy? Yeah, well, yeah Gastelum. Kelvin, what has like,
2: Gastelum done since he lost to Izzy?
0: Uh he lost a split to Darren Till and in July he lost to Jack Hermanson. Okay. So
1: he's in a bad spot, but
0: that was
2: Izzy's most compelling match to date. So Kelvin Gas honestly, Steph, Calvin Gaslam should get his shit together and go fight fucking Kamara Usman. That's what Calvin Gaslam. I mean, yeah, that's the real problem
1: is I say Kelvin needs to get his shit in order, but his shit in order means he's a welterweight, not a middleweight.
2: Yeah, this isn't a Robert Whitaker situation where you're at one eighty five and you're still like, you know it looking sharp and, you know, pretty muscly. Though, Robert Whitaker looked a little soft next to Jared Cannonier because Jared Cannonier has got some fucking uh, like, He-Man muscles going on.
0: Everyone looks soft next to Jared Cannonier.
2: Janet Cannonier looks like he has about 2% body fat. It's just, that's it. Um, okay, we got to have to just move on here, but, um, Volkov got a big win over Dar- Walt Harris, and it made me sad seeing Walt Harris lose. He got kicked right in the gut, and went down. That was rough. Um, Honestly, the main car was great. It all went, it flew by. Um, Lauren Murphy took care of business. Um, I, Magomed Ankolov murdered, uh, young Kutelaba. Um, it would have been, I mean, that was Steph. That was, woo! I mean, <laughs> that's what I was saying.
1: Mike out here saying Robert Whitaker doesn't deserve a rematch. Here's a rematch we tried to book like 19 times that didn't deserve to happen, Mike. Those rematches can happen. It doesn't matter whether it deserves to be compelling for whatever. Rematches can happen whenever they fucking feel like.
2: Uh, so, uh, honest question. Anybody know how ugly Stefan Struve getting knocked out by Taito Ivasa was? Uh, like was? I on the replay. 459, just ended the round, pound him out.
3: Yeah, it wasn't great. It was kind of one of those things like it didn't. I don't think there was a lot of like super clean shots. I think Struve had his hands up, but there's definitely like he got hit and like flopped over a couple times. Like he was on his knees getting back up and he got hit and kind of went back down. It was just like, he had enough. Even with one second left, he had enough.
2: He uh, I mean, Vasa needed that win badly, quite frankly. Um, he was, he'd lost three straight. We all question how much, you know, it's fun doing a Mark Hunt impersonation, but you need to have at least Mark Hunt skills. You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta show something out there. Uh, UFC's back next week. We're going to talk about that card um, along with the belt or card. But first, the best division in the UFC got no champion. And Mark and I were talking about this earlier today. And they can book, they can make Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor if they fight at 155 for that belt. And as much as people are going to say it's the UFC bending over backwards for Conor, which it will be on some level. Looking at who else is up there, Tony Ferguson just got his shit pushed in. Justin Gaethje just got smoked. The other guy up there is Michael Chandler, who just showed up. Oliveira's number six, by the way, Mark, and Hooker's number five. Though we were talking about that earlier. Right, those guys. Not only do I think it's possible that they do that, Steph, I think that's what's going to happen. I think that is going to be for the vacant title. What do you think? Um,
1: what it should be is the winner of that should fight Gaethje for the vacant belt, but they won't want to leave it vacant for that long. So I agree that since there's simply this is the closest to being booked, unless somehow they book a fight where those other guys. Well, they're booking
2: Chandler. They're booking. They're working on booking Chandler versus. Um, Tony, and I guess that uh, it was going to happen in December, and now it didn't get booked yet, but that's another one, that's another option too, that maybe the winner of that fight.
1: That, that would be such a bad look if you make the new guy versus the guy coming off a loss
2: for the thing. Oh, no, no, like, I mean, that's, rather than fight the winner that fights Gaethje, the winner of Connor, and uh, maybe maybe that guy gets to fight the... I mean, that's, okay, like, I was going to say, if, if
1: they, I, I feel like they might do that just because you're going to have, like, two or three top five fights where there is just no existing champion they make they throw interim titles at the drop of a hat right they will fucking make it just so they can put it as the main event of a real paper thin like card right with a bunch of junk on it like they'll do that at the drop of a hat but um what it should be is i think gaichi absolutely should be a part of it in what if there was like any sporting aspect to that but uh could they do it i think chandler absolutely he's not in it um, he's too new. I think he needs to take a fight and then he can get to be in it, you know? Like, uh... Like well, I mean, he, we're if, talking if about... Ferguson and then you... Say he smoked Ferguson real quick and then you book him to fight Gaethje, you could do that. But I, I just... I think there needs to be a small, like, tournament is basically for there to be a true champion. Well,
2: here's the thing, Steph. Justin and, uh, Dustin... Sorry, Justin. Dustin Poirier and Connor aren't fighting till January? Apparently? Um, that's a... That's not, like... That's a long time Bobby, already. I, I thought it was summer
1: like a week ago. It's fucking like November yeah, now. Time keeps on slipping, as they say in the space. <laughs> you know what's definitely.
2: interesting, Mark? I'm sitting here excited for the prospect of watching Conor McGregor fight a lot of these guys at lightweight that I'm looking at on the list here. But at the same time, being like, I don't want Conor McGregor to be the champion of this weight class because he's not an active enough fighter, be it for his own reasons or the fact that the UFC doesn't want to pay him enough to fight actively. And we just had Habib, who wasn't active at all either. And this is the best division in the sport. So part of me wants to keep Connor just away from the belt. What What do you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, one, I th- Connor has said that
3: he wanted to fight often. And I think now I'm that that is a lot more intriguing that Habib's out of the picture. Because before is like, what is Connor going to do? Fight a bunch of 55ers and not be able to get the belt? Is he going to fight a bunch of 170s and, and fight Usman? And I'm gonna I'm gonna convince myself Usman is not just gonna wrestle the <laughs> shit out of that guy. It's like no, but you take Habib out of the picture, and now Connor's looking real fucking good. He has purpose now because before when he wanted to do five fights, there's no purpose there. If if the if the road ends at these giant walls, which are Habib and Usman, now that Habib's gone, I think there's a lot of fun fights you can give Connor. I think this is a belt that he can get, and I think there's guys that could legitimately challenge him, like we thought before. I think. Tony with his grappling regiment and Justin with his grappling could make for interesting Connor fights. You know what's interesting,
2: Marcus? Sorry mm-hmm. to cut you off here, but I'm looking at these guys and not I mean I you don't know with Connor. He fights so infrequently, but like just thinking about the matchups, I'm like I'm probably leaning towards Connor in a lot of these. A lot of these matchups. <laughs> I have
3: to what I would hope, Bob, because I, I think that that's a general concern that's totally valid, like we do not see Connor much at all anymore. But what I do feel is if he is the champion. And he's pulling in all the pay per view. I mean, look at if we know UFC makes some stinky pay per view cards. If you have Connor as a dominant champion, they can put shit all on the rest of that card and probably sell really well. So maybe that balances their books, where they're like, "Oh, we're not getting a live gate, but Connor's fighting every three months and he's killing it on pay per view." You know, maybe that's a good trade off because I would like to see that. Overall, lightweight is extremely healthy. It's the exact opposite. Of what I was talking about uh, middleweight. There's all kinds of challengers that have a array of skill sets and uh it's always that division's always been that way so i think it's really intriguing you know i think it would have been fun to see habib sit on the top of the mountain and see if he could conquer it but his absence just leaves you know a lot of opportunities for a lot of really exciting guys and in a lot of potential fun matchups so i'm excited
2: he's still muted i've done it twice today man disappointing um all right real quick just one word. Who you guys pick if they book this fight? Tony Ferguson versus Michael Chandler. Mark, who do you pick?
3: Uh, I probably pick Ferguson. I think it's a tough call for Chandler's first fight out. Steph,
1: uh, Ferguson. I know you want a quick answer, but I'm gonna throw it out there. I am the biggest attractor of Michael Chandler on this podcast.
2: Um, I, uh, Mike, who do you got?
0: uh i'm gonna go with ferguson but just real quick on the point that um you guys were talking about before Mm -hmm. i like the idea that chandler threw out there uh, not him fighting uh tony ferguson but them doing a tournament where they make it four people connor and dustin one side him and justin on the other considering connor and dustin are fighting in january uh, um, jeez, um, Justin just got choked out, so he didn't take that much damage. They could book a Justin Chandler fight in January, February. Then you could have the the lightweight title in let's say May or June. Just so, saying, and you make that you a one night
2: example. only. You make that a one night only tournament art. So two thoughts: no one, way. the well, the Bellator guy bo- try to book a tournament sounds about right. And, um, also him just trying to get himself in there instead of Tony Ferguson. Honestly, if we're going to do a tournament, he should fight Tony Ferguson for him to get in the tournament. But who's your who's your pick if they did fight?
0: Oh, um, Ferguson.
2: Yeah, I think the time that I would have wanted Michael Chandler in the UFC was about three years ago. Not that I don't think he's still very good, but the the Bellator guy I wanted in the UFC is, uh, is Patricio Pitbull. That's who I want. Just my two cents there. They should work on that one. Uh... All right, um, Yeah, we'll have to see uh, where we go from here with this, but I, it's lightweight, man. You booked 22 guys, I'm in for it. It's the best division in the sport. Uh, okay. We're going to make, we're going to pick uh, a couple UFC fights, we're going to pick a Bellator fight, and then we're going go to go stuff we like. This weekend, UFC is going to be in the fucking Apex again, I think. We are leaving Fight Island. Um, going back to Vegas um and what is uh, he said it again today anderson silva says this is his last fight in the ufc i'm going to say those last th- those last couple words again in the ufc um the last opponent is someone that uh anderson thinks a lot of and and um his opponent Uriah hall thinks the world of anderson is very much a hero uh, hero of, hero of uh, Uriah halls which you know, makes you wonder what we might see out there. Um, Anderson's lost a lot of fights, um, and it's look. Stefan and I were talking earlier, and Stefan made reference to the. It's not called SB Nation anymore, by the way. The the YouTube channel, I think it's called Secret Base. Um, but they did a video on uh, the fall of and of a downfall of Anderson Silva, and it was it was a rough watch, but it's a nice summary of everything that really happened. Anderson is coming off of two losses. He has lost six of eight. And the other two is a no contest. I'm going all the way back to the Weidman fight when I say six of eight, by the way. Six of eight. The only one in there was over Derek Brunson. Um, That was real iffy for a lot of people, too, that Derek Brunson win. Um, 45 years old. Uriah Hall, on the other hand... Uh, we were talking about it earlier. Two straight wins over um, Bevan Lewis, uh, knockout punch, and uh, Antonio Carlos Junior. After that, a split. The Paulo Costa fight. I remember thinking, "Wow, Uriah Hall's doing a real good job when this is at distance." And then Uriah, and then Costa got inside, and Uriah Hall got beat up. Betting line for this one, Stefan. Got Anderson coming in at plus one eighty-five
1: to the favorite Uriah Hall at minus two twenty-five.
2: Um. Do you want to pick who? How we how we do this thing, man? Um. Sure. And I will just go
1: first. Uriah Hall. And that's all I have to say about it.
2: Steph, uh, are you wearing a Syracuse sweatshirt?
1: I am wearing a Spider Man sweatshirt
2: because it looks like the Syracuse S. Syracuse S.
0: And it's
1: oranges.
2: it's a S attached to webbing and it
1: is red,
0: not orange. But S- Mike like also. It, I I understand what you're thinking, Bobby, but that block us is very prevalent.
2: Um, I know, but it looked the fact that it was orange is part of it too. I'm like, okay. Um, so you got uh, Uriah,
1: hi, yeah. Anderson. Uh, laundry analogy, it's him, Anderson yeah. Silva. He is he
2: is the photo next to the laundry analogy in the encyclopedia. Yeah, and we'll talk if this really is his last fight. We'll talk next week about Anderson, and I just you know. Just want to say, it was a real pleasure to watch him fight live as many times as Wait. we have.
0: Just to make sure, I kind of bla- blanked out for a second. Uriah Hall is who he okay. picked.
2: Thank you. Ste- Step on who's picking next? I say very clear
1: things, and Mike's like, who did he pick? I wonder if he picked the guy that he said is the definition of wash. That must have been who he picked. Um, Mark, as a man who one time booked a Anderson Silva fight in the UFC, uh, are you, what do you got in this?
3: Uh, yeah, I'm going with Hall, too, but... Um, I have a couple negative caveats. One, I'm not confident. I think Anderson Silva absolutely c- could win this fight. And I think he can win this fight because I think it could be very uneventful. Yeah. Um,
2: Steph, honestly, I was hoping you go to me for me to say the exact things Mark's going to say. They might just fucking high five and stare at each other.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, One, I mean, there's a couple different things you can look at and, and draw to that conclusion, uh, like like me and Bobby are. And one, you, you can look at uh, exciting young fighters fighting their icons and, and perform, performing very badly. Um, and part of that reminds me of uh, Pat Barry and Krokop, right? There was way too much respect. He let Krokop just having fun and playing games and patting and yeah, him. at least that was he...
2: good. <laughs> at least that fight was entertaining. I'm talking it about was Anderson. All, versus, I mean, it, it was Anderson right, and Izzy
3: like, was what I'm thinking. And Krokop <laughs> won that fight. And I think Pat Barry yeah. was a much better fighter could oh, have yeah. won that fight. I think gave him way too much respect and it cost him the fight. Um, and then you look at Anderson Silva and Izzy, you know, because I think you can kind of look at this fight in very similar ways. That Like, oh, these guys are very flashy stand-up fighters. This is going to be guaranteed fireworks. But they're really, you know, flashy stand-up strikers because a certain type of fighter that comes at them without great defense, without correct angles, they can look like a fucking master. So, um, yeah, I think this could be a lot of them on the outside, unwilling to really engage. And I'm going with the Ryer Hall, but I'm not going to be surprised if Anderson Silva, you know, at the end of five rounds has one, has won oh, one. This, f- this is five four rounds. Of them really? are super fuck. Close. So, fuck
2: me, yeah. this is five rounds. God, I forgot. The main event. <laughs> That's a that's a long fight. <laughs> Stefan, who's picking next?
1: Mike, you're not gonna. You don't got. You're the not. You're not doing this pick, Mike. So let's keep let's keep the let's keep the line going. So fun
0: fact about this fight. This fight has a tenuous connection that goes back seven years to uh, the ultimate fighter that Uriah Hall was on when he was out there just murking people and his coach Chael Sonnen gave him such heady praise as to say this might be the guy that beats that puke who's champion right now. He was talking about Anderson Silva at the time. Chael Sonnen might be proven right a few years late but right nonetheless i think Oriah hall is going to win this fight possibly i'm not very confident in that this might be a boring fight
2: anderson yep. is a very, good, <laughs> he, a very
0: good he's a very we good very we all think counter, the same thing <laughs> he's a very good counter striker and if there's one thing two things you know about raya hall is that he has talent but he also has this annoying problem where he doesn't pull the trigger and we just might have a fight where Uriah Hall just looks at Anderson for five rounds, but does just enough to win three rounds.
2: I think it's gonna be like it's gonna be some like like a, like a dance off type shit where one guy does the shows a cool kick he knows how to do, doesn't hit him, and then the other guy does a cool kick he knows how to do, doesn't hit him, and then they smile at each other. It's my turn, obviously. I got Uriah Hall. Um, I want Anderson Silva to knock him out though, because if this is really it, I think that'd be cool to go out. But if Uriah Hall knocks out Anderson, And it plays out the way I said it was gonna, I said it might play out about 25 minutes ago. I look like a fucking genius because I ain't read that shit anywhere. And we're gonna go bet on Lotto after that, okay? (laughs) If that's how this plays out. Um, we're picking the co main event of this fight, of this fight card. Um, Andre Touchy Feely, still my favorite nickname in MMA, taking on Bryce Thug Nasty Mitchell. Bryce, I'm a white guy from Sherwood, Arkansas. Thug Nasty Mitchell. That's a good nickname, too. Thug Nasty here, 26 years old. um, Black belt in Jiu-Jitsu is 13-0. He is 4-0 in the UFC with wins over a guy we don't know, another guy we don't know, a third guy we don't know, and Charles Rosa. Um, Andre Touchy-Feely, in my head, I thought he'd won a few in a row here, but um, coming off a one win over Charles Jourdain, I remember it being a very good fight, though, quite frankly. Um... It's a guy that we've praised, Andre Feely, in that we think he's gotten, he's made some improvements, but not really enough to be a real contender anywhere here. Betting line, Stefan? Uh,
1: Feely is the slight underdog at plus 125 to Bryce Mitchell's minus 145 favorite.
2: Yeah, I'm going to pick the order here. Um, I'm the one who pushed for us to pick this thing um, because I think Doug Nasty here might be something. We don't know. And quite frankly, if he smokes touchy-feely, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a champion or even a contender one day. But, well, you know we talk a lot of guys who are like B-plus everywhere. Andre Feely is like a C-plus, B-minus everywhere. And there's not like one area where he's that good. Um, He's just a tough guy who's going to be in the UFC as long as he wants a job, to be honest. He's that type of guy to me. Um, which isn't bad at all. A lot of guys have done that. Bryce Mitchell, there's still a question mark out there as what he can be, so I think he's got a lot of potential. Um, I think he kind of digs the fact that he got a little famous with his nickname, and he got a couple wins together and stuff, so worried about that, big, him having a big head on a little bit there, but I, I gotta go with Bryce Mitchell on this one. Uh, Mike, you go second.
0: Yeah, Andre Feely might be, uh, as you put it, C pluses, B minuses and everything, but we know for damn sure Bryce Mitchell's at least an A when it comes to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um mm-hmm. Not many people have hit a twister in, yep. in competition. And I watched some of his earlier fights um earlier today. And yeah, that twister was not a fucking fluke. This kid is a goddamn wizard on the floor. Like he transitions from one submission to another like, like I put on my pants. Mm-hmm. Um I think this guy is gonna do what Damian Maya did has done for the last 10, 15 years. He is just going to get this guy to the ground and submit him really quick.
3: Mark, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I also have Bryce. Um, and it's it's more to do with Feely and kind of how he fights. Um, sometimes it can be a little crazy, a little reckless. And not having a lot of looks at Bryce, but just having the tenure of someone that is a prospect um, in that weight division and that has gotten a couple wins in the UFC kind of shows me that, that this is a person that probably doesn't make a lot of mistakes and doesn't leave a lot of holes to be exploited and to, you know, cause that's how you lose. And, that, and that's why losses are so common in MMA is if you kind of play fast and loose with positioning or what you're doing at any given moment, you know, you leave those openings and those allow your opponent to, to win the fight in dramatic fashion. And we've seen Feely make those kind of mistakes, whether it's errors, grappling or stand up, you know, he's gotten caught before. I think Bryce Mitchell's a little bit more tightened. You know, I don't think he's going to be as loose and take kind of those big risks. And I think it's going to, you know, he'll end up getting the victory because of it. Stefan.
1: Uh, yeah, Mitchell. Um, I've never thought that much of Feely. Um, He's the one guy at Alpha Male who's not a wrestler, right? And he's going up against a credited enough grappler who could pull off a twister, and not by accident. He knew every step of the setup. He worked for it. He got it. Um, you know, Zombie, I think... Has anyone else besides Zombie pulled off the twister in the UFC? Is that, or is it just in, those two? I think in the UFC, is just those two, I think. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's high-level grappling. Whatever his top-end potential is remains to be seen. But Feely has shown, at best gatekeeper potential. Like, he doesn't... He's never seemed like any... much of a prospect. He's an action fighter, like you said, Bob, so he's good to stick on a card because he he's gonna try, but he just... Uh,
2: he, he's there for me to be like, you know what? I'm gonna watch yeah. this because I know Andre Feely's gonna make sure it's not boring. I mean, maybe really he surprises me, but he's got a low ceiling as a prospect. Yeah. He's got a 10 to 15 range. Best case with him. Um, all right. We're not picking the fight, but Kevin Holland's on this card, and Kevin Holland... Um, is quite frankly um having himself a bit of a 2020 here. I, is he 3 and 0 in this year already? And all at all of them pandemic fights? Um he's 3 and 0 in the UFC this year. Um two knockouts and a split win. Um is someone to keep an eye on. This is not an easy fight. Um fighting somebody with 30 professional fights and Mahmoud Muradov who just killed Trevor Smith with a knockout back in December. Um, but Kevin Holland has looked good and he's somebody to keep your eye on because Mark talked about middleweight maybe not being a lot of guys there. This is a guy. Um, he gets another win here. That's four straight in a good division. They start giving him real people. So we'll see what happens there. Um, wild turn here. We're going to talk about Bellator. Um, and Bellator is putting on, quite frankly, um, possibly a better fight card than the one where the UFC is putting on. This whole thing where we're doing fight cards on Thursday, Bellator, Mike, I don't I don't get what's going on here. Did we miss something or what's going on?
0: <laughs> it's Bellator. You're not meant to understand their business moves.
2: Probably. Well, I guess if there's no crowd, who gives a shit, huh? <laughs>
0: That's right. And when you're in Bumblefog, Connecticut, who really cares?
2: <sighs> Mike could have been there, you know, covering this for us folks, getting you guys access to just what is Jake Hager up to? Mike could have told you that, folks. What is Jake Hager... Maybe Jake Hager's got a good chicken parm yeah, recipe. Mike yeah. could have got it out
0: of him. Anyone with a TV on Thursday can tell you what Jake Hager's up to. He's fighting in Bumblefuck, Connecticut.
2: Well, I might not be on TV. It's a prelim fight. Um, Gegard <laughs> Musasi, Douglas Lima. Um, Gegard Musasi, the former... This is for the middleweight championship, which has been vacated. Musasi was the former middleweight champion before um, Rafael Lovato... Um, kind of, you know, I, I mean, it was a majority decision. Lovato looked really good in that one. Unfortunately, Mr. Lovato has got himself a real medical situation forcing him to um, vacate his championship. Um, he has cerebral cavern cavernoma, and you know it's not good when the whatever you got starts with cerebral and you're a cage fighter. It's a bad thing. Um, kind of just like he has cavities with Poor blood flow in his brain, so he vacated his middleweight title. Musasi, the former champion, is in this fight. His opponent, though, um, Douglas Lima, the reigning U- uh, the reigning Bellator uh, welterweight champion. Quite frankly, a guy that the UFC should be going after. Um, Thirty two and seven, just uh, beat Rory McDonald in a pretty one sided fight. Quite frankly, um, and won their uh, welterweight grand prix. Fucking killed Michael Venom Page and any credibility anybody had, you know, with that guy. Um, Stefan, I'm imagining a close betting line here.
1: It is. um, Douglas Lima is only a slight underdog at plus one forty to Musasi's minus one seventy favorite.
2: And if people want to get an idea of the size comparison here, Musasi is listed at six foot two, and Lima is listed at six foot one um this is i think Lima's first fight at middleweight from what i can tell here um
0: no mike he had a it's his first fight at middleweight in about 10 years
2: when did he fight a guy at middleweight
0: a long time He had like two fights at 185
2: wow um mike why don't you pick the order here all right yes yeah, so i guess i'll go first
0: um no, I Mc- give you the
2: ability to let Mark pick something and you pick the opposite, and you're just like, nah, man. Let Yo, me just. Man.
0: <laughs> Yo, you're you're you you've watched fight the fights with me outside. It's over, baby. It's over. I, I'm, not, I'm not winning.
2: <laughs> it's over. Mike's got, Mark's got too big of a lead. Now we're just trying to get a respectable second place. All right.
0: I clawed my way back to like seven games back, and then I lost two games
2: <laughs> last
0: week, and I'm like, all right, that's it. All right, it's done. But um, I'm going with Musashi. Lima's done a good job of cleaning out the the 170 division, but it is a big step to go up to, to 185. Um, you know, we saw a common opponent that they had, uh, Rory McDonald at 185, when he fought Musasi. That was a pretty one-sided affair because he was just too small for Musashi. And
2: Mark, one I, second, Mark, were we there for that?
0: Did we go uh, to Musasi versus?
2: R- in my mean, head, we were there. Musasi wrecking Rory. Is that a real thing? I mean, it was in
3: San Jose, so probably.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna look that up while you're doing Mike's talking. Sorry, go ahead, Mike.
0: <laughs> no, no problem. So yeah, so I think that Musasi is just gonna be too big for uh, for Lima. I think he uses his jab uh, well to control the fight and get a decision. Marcus, uh, the eventual champion for 2020, launch. <laughs> you go next.
3: Yeah, well, Mike, I mostly do agree with you. I think, uh, you know, I do have Musashi in this fight. Um, I mean, if anyone who's been following this dude knows, I mean, and if you haven't fallen, just look at his Wikipedia page. And there's not a lot of L's on there, and there's a shit ton of W's. And, uh, and that's, I think that speaks volumes to the skill level. And at the same time, you look at Douglas Lima, and it's a very similar story. Like, these guys have fought in a lot, they have fought in a lot of good guys and they've only dropped a few fights here and there. So I, I think this is going to be a really highly contested fight. Um, i just always like Gegard. I like his style. He's really good everywhere. Like Bobby was saying with Bruce Mitchell or even feel like, oh, you know, B-minuses, C-plus, well, this dude's A everywhere. Like, to beat him, not only do you have to be extremely skilled at the top of your game, you have to also be kind of fucking lucky, too, because he doesn't just lose. Except, I mean, and that's the Uriah Hall loss, right? Uriah I was going to say, see Uriah Hall was- <laughs> <laughs> they got he got lucky. They ran it back. He beat him in the first round, you know. And in, and when you look at Douglas Lima too, you look at the few of these losses. Look up a couple fights above that. He fought those guys again and beat them. And that speaks a lot. That speaks to improvement and a mentality to win, you know. And I, I think this is going to be a really highly contested fight. I have to go with Gagar. he had been my boy forever. Um, but like Bob was saying, don't sleep on Douglas Lima and. I really do think, like you, Bobby, he should be in the UFC. This is, this is the type of caliber fighter you want in that in those divisions. Um, and I think he'll get there eventually, but we'll see. Mike. Mike, you're muted.
0: Sorry. Uh, we're all having muting issues today. Speak for yourself, bro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mark. How dare I speak for you? Thank you. Bob, why don't you go next?
2: Yeah, I I love Douglas Lima. I think he's so good. Like, I think Douglas Lima could be top five in the UFC. Um, I think another... By the way, while we're, while we're talking, I would really have liked Andrei Koreshkov to be in the UFC. Um, and I think he's still... Andre's still pretty young, too, to be honest. Um, he's only 30 years old now. Just putting that out there. Um, not that I'm trying to consolidate everything and kill competition and make the fighters somehow get less money, but I'd like to see what these guys can do against some better fighters um, Gegard is huge compared to Lima I don't care the one inch bullshit Gegard was a 205 pound champion um and like, he fought a lot of big motherfuckers um, when you're looking at Gegard's 50 fucking 5 fights, which by the way is my only hesitation here, I mean I have hesitation because Lima's good too, but some of the people this guy's fought, like he he beat up Gary Goodridge, who's fucking huge not the hardest opponent, but Gary Goodridge is a large man, you know Mark Hunt, he triangle choked Mark Hunt you know, these are big people. Um, I think Yegard can get a top of Dougla- on top of Douglas Lima, and it'd be a real fucking problem for Douglas Lima. I think that might be what happens, quite frankly. Because I think standing with Douglas Lima is a more dangerous proposition than him being off, back, off his back. Though I do remember when, it was like eight years ago, when Ben Askren was the champion of Bellator, and he was ragdolling Douglas Lima for about 23 minutes. And at the end of the fifth round, he threw up a triangle choke and almost got Ben Askren. I got so excited. Um, Yeah, Gegard, though. I, I got to go with Gegard, man. Man speaks Farsi. Oh, come on, man. I got nothing else.
1: <laughs> I, I guess I'll round that out. Mike don't even yes. gotta say it. Um, Finish you, you
0: the, all, the fall, Steph.
1: You guys all made the points that I was going to go with. Um, On paper, they're very similar fighters, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of crossover in their records and their styles. Um, but then to what you said, Bob, the man's fought at light heavyweight comfortably, not mm-hmm. an overinflated middleweight, you know, he looked fine there and he could have made a home there if you want. Like he's, I think you said they're like one inch in height difference, but I think that was my takeaway when uh, Gegard fought Rory, like, height, they're not that far off of each other, but standing next to each other, like, oh, this guy's a weight division higher than this guy, and... That ended up being pretty one-sided. Yeah. Um, I know Gegard, I, I I didn't see the fight uh, to the, um, I, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name, and he's kind of going, yeah, going through a medical fight of his life right now. I didn't see that fight, but um, I think we all know when Gegard signed with Bellator, it was to be the big fish in the small pond. Um, so that's what I expect to see here.
2: Um, by the way, Mark, we did go to that fight. Um, it was the main event, and the co-main event was Rampage versus Mandalay.
3: Um, um, Mandalay, right.
2: That was a good one, too. That was a fun card to go to. We paid money for that one, possibly, too. Yeah. I don't think that was... Because yeah, we were there with our friend uh Max was there with us. Um That's right. I mean, Gegard's got a win over Ilar Latifi, guys. That was Ilar Latifi's UFC debut. Latifi showed up in 2013, and he's still there. He's still there. Never forget my guy there. Um Okay. Um Also on this card, we're not picking fights, but... um There's some good shit, man. Corrales versus Brandon Gertz is a good fight. That's a solid, solid fight at Featherweight. Bobby Volker, Strike Force veteran right there. Um, Saba Hamasis, tough fighter right there. Nick Newell. Um, old list longtime listeners of the podcast know Mark wrote an article about Nick Newell way back when we started this. When we started the website, like eight years ago, nine years ago, he did it. Um, and Jake Jake Hager, the big hurt, decided like a week ago, yeah, man, I don't think I'm on this pay per view. That's on an AEW pay-per-view next week and a half. I can fight. Fuck it. I'll be there. You know, I'm probably not, you know, I'm not on TV this week. I'll, I'll go fight. So, um, yeah, Beltor in Uncasville, which is where they are now, because the following week they're in Uncasville again. And let me tell you that, we're going to pick Beltor fight next week too, when it's Corey Anderson versus Melvin Manhoff.
3: And Bobby, there what do is. you think they're, they're the next event? Uncasville,
2: Connecticut. Mark.
3: <laughs> what about the next one, Bobby? <laughs> that
2: one's that one's got Pitbull on it too. Bellator's got their guys fighting, buddy. Yeah, they, they've the only... been at Unkersville for the last
3: like four months. At least you... the UFC crew gets to go to uh, Abu Dhabi. These guys been stuck Connecticut for like four months. Legitimately, but...
2: this fight in a couple weeks where they're booking Darian Caldwell versus AJ McKee, Mark. That's a that's a real fight for them. I mean, okay. got well, a I, have to, I have to
3: I have to correct myself too. They were literally just in Paris like three weeks ago, so that's my yeah.
2: Mind. Um, yeah, man, you gotta... They don't have an Apex. They gotta do it somewhere. So, they also did the first MMA fight in Paris, and the first fight was, a uh, DQ, because someone got kicked in the dick, I think. I heard about that. Yeah, it was real appropriate. Um, okay, guys, let's do, uh, stuff we like, assuming nobody, no other champions have retired in the last, you know, hour or so we've been doing this. Um, I will, I guess, I'll talk about Hell in a Cell, because I know other guys watched it, too. Um, Mike, I thought Hell in a Cell was good in the three Hell in a Cell matches, and the rest of it was a waste of our time. Um,
0: I, that would, was... I would disagree with you. Um, I thought the main event was good. I thought that Bailey sasha was the best fight of the night by far. Yeah, it was excellent. I thought that the first Hell in a Cell match um, was lacking. Um, but
2: they, they just did the same matches last time except they did it inside of a cage, right?
0: Yeah, it was basically the same match, you know. They 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 whipped themselves a bit with a with a leather strap. Uh it, it was basically the same match, you know. It wasn't as big of a squash match as the first one was. But they it,
2: didn't they didn't even use the cell. Not sell. really. No, they did. Yeah, they, they, that's I mean, that's a whole different rant about why they need to just book Hell in a Cell matches in October every year. Mm-hmm. Um I thought it was kind of cool to see Alpha and Sika that made me happy, Steph. I don't know if you watched this match yet, but mm-hmm. that was kind of cool at the end where they, you know, gave Roman his tribal chief lay, I guess. Is that what it's called? I still, yeah, I don't know. It if it's is a, different... a lay. Um, yeah. they house got called wild Samoans. I mean,
1: I, I don't expect anyone to know who those people are, Bobby. Like, yeah,
2: I know. Which just made me happy. I'm like, oh, it's Afa <laughs> There they are. Yeah. I Roman's dad. He
1: kept his hair long. He kept the giant mustache, you know? And the other one is uh, Roman's dad. So, well obviously um, Roman's uh, that's what I thought yeah. too I'm like it's Roman's dad of course Roman's dad's gonna say I'm his like, son I'm like, I'm like
2: where's Rikishi I'm like where's Rikishi out to help the Usos buddy Um, yeah that was uh, uh, Sasha and Bailey was excellent there was a lot of expectations there for Um, I don't know if people are newer wrestling fans but women's wrestling was terrible when we were kids and that it really didn't exist ex- except for like Trish Stratus and Lita got their shit you know try to get some shit in um and a lot of things changed and people point to uh, Sasha Banks, Bailey, um, Charlotte and fuck, Jesus, Becky, oh my God, he forgot the most I forgot Becky Lynch. I forgot the best one, <laughs> and Becky Lynch. And there was a match in Brooklyn and I want to say it was five years ago, maybe 2015 sounded about right, maybe. Um, where Sasha and Bailey tore the house down in Brooklyn, had the best women's wrestling match anybody had ever seen, one of the best matches anybody had ever seen. And since then, we've all been waiting for the WWE and the main roster to be like, uh, "Can we? Can you do it? Can Can you just book them against each other?" So expectations were high. and They went out there and they fucking killed it. Um, Steph, I thought Sasha realizing that she was she's too light to break to go through tables finally, so she said she tried to climb up. She ran up a table to give a meteora onto Bailey. That was real cool. They used it better.
1: Um, mm. Sasha is really good, but due to her life frame it's led to a lot of botches in her matches because spots just don't go how they want them to go um yeah. for a million different she reasons went, she weighs
2: 105 pounds that's not helping. you know <laughs> like there's just the
1: momentum and the force isn't always there to try to pull off some of the things she wants so they handled it really well i agree that was definitely the match of the night um kind of a you know i'll be as a slight debbie downer on it i kind of in my current wrestling taste, I, I I listen to stuff like podcasts about it more than I watch it. I, I kind of don't like the Hell in a Cell anymore. Um, so it's it's a weird contradiction. Is Hell in a Cell? If you're not going to do what mankind did, it's kind of fucking pointless. But that said, for your health and longevity, I don't want you to do what mankind did. So yeah. it's like I kind of just feel like that Hell in a Cell just needs to be retired as a gimmick because you're not going to do it better. Because better means significantly dangerous. So it's like... It's there, there, there's one, t- there's like one said, spot now. You said the Samoans, you know, they didn't even use the cage. It was in there, but for no particular reason. Like, it just seems unnecessary to me. Um, it's more distracting it, of the match than adds to it nowadays, in my opinion, is all.
2: There's also just like, there's two, t- there's two spots now. One is you fall off the side onto a table. Or if you're specifically Shane McMahon... You jump off the top onto that table that's got about a three-inch level of, like— and God bless them for doing this—of protection so nobody fucking dies. But, like, I was like—I saw, like, Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre go up there, and I'm like, these guys are too big to be up there.
1: And if you're a newer wrestling fan or not a Reddit reader who's encountered shitty morph in the wild— you don't know about the Mankind spot where he was at the top of the cage. He was not supposed to be choke slammed through the cage. Apparently that was an accident and his yeah. chair definitely was not supposed to follow him on the way down and land on his face knocking out a few teeth. Like it was bad. We thought we saw a man die. Um, yeah, that was really bad. Uh,
2: yeah. That, that that was what happened. Um I thought the show was pretty good overall to be honest. Um I felt really bad for Tucker because Steph this feud with Otis ends? Tucker ain't got no job. Tucker ain't gonna make it to fucking 2022 on that roster at all. No chance. Well, I mean, here's the confusing part. They're on opposite brands.
1: Oh, they changed that today. Did they? I, I was, was like, like, yeah, I was yeah. like they you're gonna do this turn, and then they're
2: gonna be on different shows and not a party. Yeah, of they, it. Said T- they said they sent Tucker back to SmackDown because they're like, wait, we gotta... They're what like, what the fuck are we doing?
1: <laughs> do um, yeah,
2: I mean, Vince McMahon doesn't like tag teams. And for some reason, a tag team can't just like exist while the one guy wrestles singles sometimes. So you got to break them up. Um, here's actually here's the here's my over under uh, Bobby. What
1: what do they walk away from first? Tucker or Retribution? Because Retribution are already clowns. They dude, are I, already a, a jobber squad of clowns.
2: Dude, I love Mustafa Ali so much. And I thought one day, like, it was already, it was bad, and then they made him the leader, and I'm like, okay, okay, there's hope here. But and like, then Shane
1: Thorne came out and just started slapping things, wearing <laughs> fucking generic Walmart athletic shorts, like, what is the Shane fuck Shane Thorne is the that? one wearing the paper, he's he wearing is, the paper plate mask, right? Back. He's wearing yeah. the paper plate holes mask. Like, what the fuck is Retribution, man? Dude,
2: okay, did you notice what, like, Bobby Lashley, who's too overpowering to wrestle anybody in Retribution, he looks insane. Well, after he was done squashing that guy, that was okay. okay. But then they all attacked Bobby Lashley, and Bobby Lashley fought off all four of them before the, his rest of his before the hurt business needed to come save him. Like he was already done vanquishing the entire group. Um, they're done. That group is dead and buried. They could have done something with those people. They're all very talented. Shane is okay. I was okay. That's not nice. He might be very talented. Shane was good in a tag
1: team. That they disbanded for some reason, and you know how they feel about tag teams.
2: Yeah, the other guy just bailed to New Japan. Um, and like, yeah, and like Mustafa Ali's awesome, so good. Dijakovic, he has good matches, you know. And you know, nobody doesn't. Everybody likes am, Period. Cross the board, we all like am. But what these fucking stupid names? Like, I. Ugh, it's so bad. They don't commit to anything, man. Like, let it, let it, like, come on. Let's do it. Go for it. Um, Overall, those three matches were good. The other matches were crap. Um, or not crap. They were just, you know, they could have been on TV. You know, Jeff Hardy and Elias could have just been on TV. Um, Otis probably should have cashed in at some point. But yeah, that was it. I watched Hell in a Cell. I'm very excited for the AEW pay-per-views in a couple weeks because I'm excited to watch Hangman and Kenny, which is my prediction of how that plays out. But that's a conversation for a different time. Uh, Mike, what do you got this week?
0: I was muted. Yeah, so for me this week, uh, I did enjoy the the, the pay-per-view. Um, I, I had a good time watching it yesterday. I'm still blown away by the fact that the pay per view start at 7 and you're done before 10. I appreciate that, especially being here on the East Coast. Uh, for me this week, what I like is uh, something I uh, – touched on with you guys before the podcast and it's a small uh, mini series that's that ran on showtime about the uh, the comedy store now for those of you that don't know what the comedy store is it's this uh, very famous comedy club that's in LA Uh, pretty much every famous comedian that you know about has probably gone through there and has been a paid regular there and that's the main place in uh in LA where people go to to work out their sets when they're you know in between uh hours and and specials. And it's essentially a, a documentary just on, on the history of the place. They they start from how it started, I think in the sixties or seventies. And I'm on episode four right now. I don't know if there's an episode after this, but at the very least they go up to when um you know, Joe Rogan left the comedy club and, you know, the the, the down years during the, the early aughts and, and mid aughts. And it's a very informative and uh, documentary, which I'm actually learning a lot. For example, I didn't even know Michael Keaton did, uh, did stand up back in the day. As most of you probably know, Michael Keaton was Batman. I didn't know the man did stand up comedy. That was uh, something I didn't think about. And... Uh, you know, David Letterman and Jay Leno are all throughout this uh, this documentary. Um, they're obviously famous for their you know late show and, and tonight show gigs and you know they were standard comedians way back in the day. and well, you know for me I realized, wow, these two have known each other even before they were on TV. like they were some of the you know first people that really made it big from from the comedy store. So if you have Showtime, and you have a few hours to burn. I would highly recommend the the comedy store.
2: Stefan, what do you got? Ah, uh, yeah, some quick hitters.
1: Um, I uh, am on. I'm through the first three seasons on Hunter x Hunter now. Mike, I got some questions to ask because I feel like the show I'm watching is not at all the show I started watching. No, like, no, I think no, I don't. No, no. I do not understand how the original premise of this show ties into anything that happens in what I just watched. But uh, it's still good. It's still exciting. Um, I've mentioned uh, question, it.
0: Week question for you. Yeah, um, what's up? Have they gotten to the Chimera ants already in season three? Uh, if you don't know yet, then they haven't.
1: Okay. Well, I finished season three, Mike. So I might just be forgetting that it was what happened. I'll um, oh, that's this. Is Hassoka a part of the? Is that his name? Is 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 Joker Clown Man a part of the crew now?
0: Oh, is Hisoka? he?
1: Yeah, like is is he is he just chilling with him now? I'm like, I thought he was the primary antagonist, and he's like, I'm gonna ride on your guy's blimp. Here we go. Like he's
0: like he's like Vegeta in the first okay, season of he Dragon, has a turn. Dragon right. Ball Z. You know, it's like you know, like I'm a bad guy, but I'll rock with you sometimes.
1: Okay, because I know you were fond of him when I first mentioned him. I'm like, what's this guy's do? What's this guy's thing? Uh, he gets uh he gets real horny off of the potential of a good fight, so he's got that uh side to him, but dude, um. Man yeah no that's a good show um and among us update we uh, finally got a full game you know we we it's the thing i've mentioned a lot over the weeks because we it's kind of been our journey through it but we got our first 10 person game first time playing two imposters i unfortunately never got to play with a double imposter um we had a lot of uh first timers which was cool you know um added some uh some feminine energy we got mark's wife my sister one of my best friends they joined they all had a good time, so it's kind of just nice knowing that we have, like, a 14-person pool, so hopefully we can get those schedules going to get 10 of 14, you know? Um What is that, like a B? A solid B? B plus? B minus? You know, we're not asking for a lot, but um I, you know i get it it was the hot button thing maybe it's played out to some people but fuck man it is fun it is a fun game with all these people and i really look forward to the next time we could do that again um and then just to top it off on my my k-pop news of the week my main girls twice they dropped uh, i was up at 2 a.m watching the release of their new music video uh, i can't stop me for their uh newest album that also released Uh, eyes on me or eyes wide open sorry um haven't had a chance to listen to it but i did pick it up because seven dollars digital i'm an adult i don't have to illegally download things anymore i can give these nine girls their 70 cents each off of my album and let's not even talk about writers and producers and all that shit um the girls need money uh, you
2: you guys hear this man's excitement? It's because in fantasy football, my wide receiver just r- fumbled the ball and his one of his defenses just got a fucking touchdown and he won. That son of a bitch. I mean <laughs> uh-
1: I didn't want to mention it, Bobby, because by the time this shit is out, that is old hat. That is old hat news. <laughs> it's not fun to about talk about live sports on it. Oh it's man, I just podcasts. I just lost for sure. I'm <laughs> not happy. I just lost for sure. So yeah, I, I got uh, some pep in my step after that.
0: <laughs> also, uh, in regards to twice, a little MMA connect a oh, well tenuous MMA connection here. And you could tell me if this is the same person stuff, but I was this list- I don't remember if it was a heart shaker or um what is love? But I looked up the credits to one of those songs, and I saw a Jay Park on there. Is it the same Jay Park who got smacked by Brian Ortega?
1: It's very possible because uh, he does write and produce. So um, since they and got the rap, slapped. since they got the rap line, it's always possible they can uh, get some of that stuff in there. Um, I have a uh, MMA connection to him. I mentioned this to Mark because I think I was talking to him while I was watching this Korean variety show because two members of Twice were on it, and Korean panel show, same with Japan, it's like nine people on it, and it's like, who the fuck are all these people? But then there was one gentleman in particular, I'm like, he has a mighty square jaw. And I'm like, he's familiar. Why do I know this guy? It is because he is the stun gun, Dong Hyun Kim. And I was like, if you ever wondered what happened to that guy, he's interviewing K-pop idols on a Korean variety show. So, um... You know, he was good, right? He just kinda faded from the UFC one day, but it's not like his record was I think, bad Woodley, killed
2: I think like, Woodley killed him. I think Woodley killed
1: him. That's what it was, right? He was like kinda undefeated or only had like one loss forever, and then he then he just got destroyed and he's like, I'm going back to Korea, guys.
2: I think I think didn't uh was he the one that Damian Maya squeezed blood out of his nose also or no? Was that the one he just The juice? No, the juice was somewhat- the story. That was Rick's story. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was the one where he somehow dislocated a rib while Damian I dumped him on the ground. Yeah,
0: we didn't
1: even understand what happened, but he's like, the takedown was too violent for him.
0: I, I still remember, I think one of the funniest things, at least to me, that Stefan ever said on this podcast was in regards to Dung Young Kim when he was like, that is not threaded enough of a nickname. Like, stun Gun, what does that mean? It's
1: like I'm going to well, neutralize had, him. I'm not, not going four four to finish him. We're just gonna, we're going gonna to push for that
2: draw. Yo, he has four more fights after that Woodley fight, and one of the—he he, he lost—his last loss was to Covington in 2017. He got—you know, here's a name, Tarek Safadine. I got his autograph on a pair of gloves in a drawer over there. See— Forgot about that man entirely. We're having a
1: real <laughs> uh, Ben Kenobi moment, you know? That's a name I've yeah. not heard in a long time. <laughs> long time. <laughs> it's
2: good to see he's doing okay. <laughs> so— Marcus, why don't you take us home, brother? Yeah, uh, after a couple
3: weeks of a little bit of a gaming drought, uh, actually a couple of fun titles coming out this week. Uh, I'm mostly looking forward to Watch Dogs Legion. So this is the third Watch Dogs game. Um, And this one takes place in London, which is kind of cool, and slightly more ahead of our time, so slightly more futuristic. And the whole kind of, uh, you know, shtick that this game is going for is, in the previous games, you could always kind of, with your phone, check NPCs and figure out, you know, what their name is and what their job title is and all this other stuff. Um, and in this game, you're going to be able to actually potentially play as any of the NPCs you see. You, you can basically recruit them to your dead sec. I believe the meme group. was uh, the grandma, like judo tossing,
1: like a security guard or something that, that was on the yeah. internet. When the so I mean, I,
3: They definitely showcase like some interesting types of characters that you can play as and I think the one that's definitely gravitated towards like people have seen it has been the elderly people that can't really r- run they waddle and when they when they kind of vault over things it takes them a long time it's very endearing and it's an, inter- it's an extremely interesting premise for a game uh, and hence why I'm kind of excited to play it I, I am worried that there's not going to be a lot of variations that's basically going to be like a lot of athletic young people and then elderly people and not a lot of in between like I would love if you could play as like a really heavy set person and they don't run as fast and they can't vault over or someone that's really skinny and they can't vault over things. Like I would love to have a lot more variations of like sizes of people. And then I think it would be, I volunteer varied. to be
2: a model for this game. That's a guy who fails at vaulting. I, I could be that guy.
3: I mean, Let me do it. I think there's a <laughs> uh, lots of people would, and I think that's what would potentially make it fun. Um, So, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm very interested in trying it out. Uh, also coming out this week is, uh, Little Hope. This is another game in the Dark Pictures anthology. So these are the guys that made Until Dawn last year, and you know for you know the next couple of years they've been planning on making this Dark Pictures anthology, which are like same games that are you know very much in the same style as Until Dawn, but doing them a little bit quicker um, and having them come out come out at a yearly pace. And so far they did it. Uh, last year, uh, last year's game was Man of Medan, which didn't really. Wow, a lot of people, I think a lot of people, including myself and and Stefan also played Until Dawn, were really impressed with that game. And Man of a Dan kind of didn't really do that for a lot of people. But so far what I've heard, Little Hope is a little bit more intriguing and might be able to hit that same note that they did with Until Dawn. Uh, And then just to round it out, because we are heading into Halloween, uh, I did watch uh, The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. I had never seen it before. And that was a pretty fun movie. Uh, and also really gross. I hadn't really seen a lot of John Carpenter stuff when I was watching I, it. Man, I'm surprised, Christine.
2: man. You're you're not a big uh, watching old shit guy. Normally, you say, you say it always doesn't. I know. Does i understanding it hurts you. <laughs> as a person.
3: And this is definitely some old shit because they had some... One, they had Dude from the Warriors. And I was like, is that a dude from the Warriors? That is that guy. And probably more importantly, and I can't remember his name. You guys will have to help me. Who's the... Stefan, who's the black guy in Community, the older guy in the last season? Who's the... Uh, Keith David. Keith David. Keith David's in this movie. He was in Saints Row. And he's like 25 years old. I was like, is yeah, that, that, is that work. But He,
1: yeah. he kind of looks a little old still, right? He's always kind of had an old man face.
0: Honestly, and the thing is maybe the only time in his entire life he actually looked kind of like Wait, a young guy. Keith David, was that Mary's father? And there's something about Mary?
2: He's a yes. lot of things, man. He's been a lot. He's of things. He's vice president Keith David in Saints Row, the one where they go to space. Okay, just sure. he's got he a, a really, lot of like, voiceovers.
1: Yeah,
3: he's got a. Really but yeah, I just voice. I saw him and I was like, is that that dude? I think it is. I looked it up, I was like, oh shit! Like he looked young, and I and then it was just funny. I was talking about uh, Kurt the Russell, right? Is he the lead? also yeah, Kurt also played lead.
0: Gus's dad? Sure. Two two people played
2: Gus's dad. Yeah, yeah, but uh, also. Yeah. So, that was the stuff I watched in... Uh, yeah. I mean, in Head of State, Mike, he also told Chris Rock's character, even Tupac wore a, a, a suit to court. <laughs> yeah, he did. I knew Mike would like that one. <laughs>
3: Sorry, Mark. No, the dude probably, you know, has one-liners for days. You know, he he's kind of that character in a lot of things. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, we're really looking forward to Watch Dogs, and the thing wasn't half bad. So, yeah.
2: I think it's... We should also point out that he had one of the greatest slash worst fight scenes ever with roddy piper that's what i was gonna they mention live. i was talking about yeah. that with chris
3: and he's like oh yeah do you ever see they live and i was like i saw the one fight scene in it and then he was just telling me like why they were fighting because he didn't want to put the glasses on i was like okay yeah. that makes sense that's that it better. have you not seen they live i haven't seen all of it. i've just seen clips and most oh. of the fight
2: scene because it's fucking awesome i mean I, I mean i own a roddy piper shirt Yo, i thought it was my duty to watch they, they live, live.
0: <laughs> they live i swear there was a period from like 1991 to 1993 that on Channel 11, they played They Live every Sunday from 9 a.m. to 11, 11 a.m.
2: Yo, Roddy Piper's here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And he's f- all out of bubblegum. Mm-hmm. That's where that came from. Mm-hmm. They Live is a classic. That was also John Carpenter, by the way. So he must just, you know, John Carpenter's You're a big Keith David fan, Mark.
0: I may find They Live. They Live is on Halloween. Hulu. Oh, that's even better because I had to buy the thing. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they live is on Hulu according to uh, Oh, according to but, but here. Bobby, is it Hulu through Stars? Cuz that's how they get Let you me for let a me, let me click. Let me click and tell you what it says cuz I got a Hulu subscription here. Everybody stand by for whether they live is watchable on Hulu. Um Fuck me, it's on Stars. At- I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> you get me all the time with that show. How does Stars Stars, you know what? Man, I used to have Stars. Stars had a whole Godzilla section. They know what the people want. You got to get the people what they want. All right. Um, be back next week. If Anderson Silva's is really re- saying he's retired, we'll wish happy trails to him. Um, we'll talk about whatever card is after that, which I I believe is a number one contender fight between Tiago Santos returning from tearing all his shit um, against old man Glover Teixeira. So the UFC can book a fight between the winner of that fight and Jan Blakowicz. And I look forward to seeing any other champion be the main event over that title fight when it happens. Because, wow, that's that's a rough one for them. Um, Bellator, we're going to talk about Corey Anderson's debut. And we'll see if they got himself. Well, they'll have a new middleweight champion. We'll see if they got a double champion in, uh, in Douglas Lima. Um, at some point next week, Stefan or I will mention how much we like Sarah moraes because she's on the card. So, there you go, folks. Got that can-do uh, attitude can do attitude um thank you all for listening i was dr law that was kid presentable with his can do attitude that was dj mark good attitude too and that's lavender gooms the best attitude the best uh see y'all next week peace out see ya goodbye